RPC Radio. Radio. Hello, you're listening to Insurance Covered. Welcome to the podcast that covers anything and everything to do with insurance. Coming up in this episode. If a company puts a customer, it's its customers specifically, not a standard customer, its own customers at the heart and the core of everything it does, its customers will be better off and it will be better off. My name is Peter Mansfield. I'm a partner of the law firm RPC, and in each episode, I'm joined by guests and we discuss an aspect of the wonderful world of insurance. And this week, we have Sarah Kachansky, and we will be providing you with an introduction to InsureTech. Uh, Sarah is an expert on fintech, having been an analyst at Business Insider for a couple of years, and then spending over three years at 11FS. She has recently moved to Founders Factory, which is an accelerator and venture studio. Uh, She has also been the host on three separate podcasts, Fintech Insider, Blockchain Insider and InsureTech Insider, which makes Sarah an expert on all things InsureTech, which is what we're going to be discussing today. So, Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I've mentioned um, some of your roles um, in the introduction, but you're actually started out in in publishing. So how did you end up as an expert in InsureTech? Oh, that's a long and winding road, I suppose. I mean, I, I will say that my start in publishing was a bit of a full start. So I, I came out of uni and um, I graduated at a time when there just weren't really any jobs for uh, anybody of, you know, a recent graduate. Um, and so I spent about 18 months just doing internships. And a lot of them ended up being in the publishing industry because once you've done one, you're connected to another um, so I finally got a paid job. And then after about four or five months, um, the job no longer existed because that's the way that publishing went. So I didn't really know what to do with myself living in London as I did. I needed to do something with myself to pay my rent. So I got a job as an assistant to a business development team for what I now know to be a fintech startup, um, which was called the Mobile Money Network. And essentially, I, that's where I started. I started to learn about the fintech industry, you know, about financial services. But once I'd been there for sort of, you know, well, it was probably coming on four or five years, I couldn't really go back to publishing. I was I was a fintech expert, so I thought I'd better stick with what I knew. Hence, uh, hence moving on to Business Insider and then over to 11FS. So, yes, I think it was uh, an accident, but a happy one. Um, I guess we should start with talking about kind of uh, a description of what InsureTech actually is. I mean, the the word itself is, of course, a a portmanteau combining insurance and technology. Um, But how would you define InsureTech? So I knew this question was going to come up and I went and went and had a look to see what other people say, because it's always best to try and be snappy in these situations. Um, The one that really, really made me laugh, I'll just read it, is from Investopedia. And it says, InsureTech refers to the use of technology innovations designed to squeeze out savings and efficiency from the current insurance industry model, um, which which was which did make me laugh. But I don't think it's a million miles away. I think um, essentially InsureTech is the use of technology to make the insurance industry work better. Uh, it, it, it's how do you make an industry which is hundreds and hundreds of years old that has barely changed step in line with modern customer needs and customer expectations. So you could argue that, you know, it's just the use of technology within insurance and that makes it an insure tech. Um, and some of those technologies will be technologies that are adopted across the board. 
you know, I think you, you brought up the example, didn't you, of a fax machine um, that can't be called InsureTech. It just happens to be technology that makes an insurance company operate more efficiently. But I think it has to be, the technology itself has to be insurance specific. But other than that, I think the argument that it makes the industry more efficient and better at solving customers' problems is what you're really looking for. So, I mean, with that in mind, as a sort of a, a broad definition of, of what insure tech is in, in general terms, let's look at some sort of specifics and some sort of subsections of, of insure tech. Um, and probably the easiest way to do that is by splitting insurance itself into its constituent parts. And in effect, there are three main elements. The first one is pricing the risk that is to be insured. Then there's the process of um, agreeing the contract itself. Um, and then there's dealing with claims afterwards um, when things go wrong. So uh, let, let's talk briefly about each one. Um, and it also gives us a, a chance to kind of start explaining some insure tech jargon. Um, if anyone at home is playing insure tech bingo, then you, you'll get a complete card uh, during the course <laughs> of this podcast. So uh, let, let's talk first about pricing the risk. Um, tell us what sorts of insure tech applies to that. Yeah, so there's um, I mean, a lot of what gets talked about when you're talking about pricing the risk is data, um, because a lot of the complaints, if you like, about the way insurance is done at the moment is that products and services are built using archaic stores of data and that there are lots of new types of data out there and lots of new ways of gathering data enabled by technology more broadly. Uh, you know, you, we talked about smartphones Apple watches, you know, any other fitness tracker you like, devices you have on your sensors you have on your home, sensors you have on your pets, right? These are these are things that people know about and have and don't think about in their daily life. And they've been around for, you know, quite a long time now. And the insurance industry hasn't really as, as an industry got its head around that, how to access that data, how to use that data and how to use it to price risk. And so I think that's the biggest area where you've seen a lot of innovation from companies that are trying to help insurers ingest that data and use it because the data is there. But part of the problem is that particularly if we're looking at the larger sort of incumbent legacy insurers, their technology is legacy as well. So if you try and plug it into data from a Fitbit, the system's going to go, sorry, what? What is that? But we don't have that. We don't have a socket for that. Uh, and if they do have a socket for it, it all comes in as a jumbled mess and they can't they can't do anything with it. It's not useful to them. So you see innovation in data collection and data ingestion, data cleaning. Those are all things that can be used to help insurers better price risk, more accurately price risk. And in so doing, help customers get products and services that are better suited to them, to their individual needs, as opposed to the average 50 year old white woman who's retired. Okay, and is that all, all this additional data that's being produced by Fitbits, fridges, kind of the black box inside a car, whatever it might be, is that what is generally known as the Internet of Things? Is that, is that kind of, is that what that means or is that something slightly different? Uh, I mean, the Internet of Things is, is more about the, the devices, more about the hardware. So the Internet of Things tends to mean it could be a fridge, but it could also be a box or a sensor. So I suppose the Internet of Things is literally the thing, and then that's what gathers the data, and the data sits behind it. Fine. Okay. Uh, that's pricing the risk. Uh, let's talk about contract creation now. 
Yeah, so this is an interesting one um, because I think where you're nudging me um, is to talk about. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just asking you open questions. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 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 so contracts are an interesting one. The, the, the obvious one to talk about um, is, is blockchain and smart contracts because there's a lot of news about that that comes from the legacy insurers. A lot of them are playing with blockchain and they like to look innovative, which means they like to release a press release saying they're doing something innovative. Um, and if you're playing password bingo at home, it either has to have AI, so artificial intelligence, or blockchain in it. To be fair, the blockchain as a technology, there are a lot of ways it can be used to make creating insurance contracts more efficient, and, and particularly when it comes to things like paying out on them, or particularly if you're talking about a contract that's got, for example, a huge catastrophe insurance, I mean, that's got a huge number of underwriters and participants, everybody has the same version of a document that is immutable and cannot be changed. So it makes those contracts, I suppose, um, less fallible, less subject to human error, more easily transferred, and you know who has the contract, where it is, and what it contains, and that can't be altered. So that's something that a lot of the big insurers are looking at, definitely. The other thing, I suppose, if you're talking about, you know, this area sort of contract creation is is the idea that contracts creation can be embedded as part of another customer journey. Um, Big one there is particularly in auto insurance. So cars are now, you know, I'm sure everybody's heard about the fact we can't have a new car this year because there aren't any chips to go in them because now you need a chip to run a car. You know, those chips are kind of controlling the car and they mean that there's an awful lot of data that can be gathered there, which means that when manufacturers selling you the car, they can sell it with a lot of value add services because they already have the information about the car in question. So you buy the car, you pay the price of the car, it comes with insurance. You don't have to think about it. One level sounds great, but uh, provided that the pricing element is right, which comes back to stage one. Yes, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of questions about embedded insurance, particularly here in the UK. People still remember PPI. Are people getting the right policy for them? Is it the most appropriate policy? Could they get a better policy somewhere else, cheaper? Is it okay to prioritise convenience over appropriateness. These are still questions that the industry is trying to ask, or trying to answer, sorry. Uh, well, you might have been right first time, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, fair, yeah. Um, claims um, as well. That's the third main area where SureTech has been brought in to improve things. How does it do that? Yeah, I mean, this is an area, again, where there's been a lot of uh, a lot of innovation and a lot of quite successful innovation um, because claims obviously used to be a very historically manual process, there was a lot of forms to fill in. You had to send them to a person who had to check the forms are filled in and then send them back to you because you missed out box 23C, subsection I or whatever it was. That kind of process is actually quite easy to automate. So you've seen a lot of robotic process automation there where things get really clever is where that's overlaid often with uh, machine learning where, uh, you know, Lemonade is the classic example of this. Most people with use Lemonade file all their claims completely automatically. It takes minutes. Um, it already knows all your details and it already knows all your policy information. All you have to do is type in the details of the incident. And in many cases, what you can also do is upload photographs, which are now digital that you take on your phone. They go straight into an app. There's an AI that for, I think, I can't remember Lemonade's exact stats, but it's over 90% could just go, yep, 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 okay, pay out, or okay, no, don't pay out. Um, so there's been real success taking the pain out of the claims process for customers. But I would say again... Can, can, can I just interrupt that? Because you, you use three different phrases, and okay. I don't know whether there's distinctions between them or whether they overlap or okay. whether they are, in fact, exactly the same thing. So you talked about robotic process automation, you talked about machine learning, and you talked about AI, artificial intelligence. Yes. How do the three of them link or differ or overlap? Well, sorry, that was remiss of me to do that without explaining them. But 
I would argue in my defense that a lot of people have different definitions of each of these things. So my categorization would be that robotic process automation and machine learning are types of AI. A lot of people would say robotic process automation is not AI. It's just, uh, it's, it's literally an automation of it. It's also like an if statement in Excel, if you like, if this, then that happens. Um, and machine learning is a specific type of artificial intelligence. So machine learning would be where an algorithm learns from data that is input into it. Either it's, it's trained on a specific set of data usually, and then the more intelligent ones, as they ingest more data once they're live, constantly adjust what they do off the back of that. It makes them more intelligent, if you like, so they can make better, more nuanced decisions. So robotic process automate, RPA, mm. that effectively speeds up a process, but would effectively do the same thing in the same way every single time for the rest of eternity. Whereas machine learning or AI, the theory is that it improves. It improves itself as it learns. Yeah, I mean, the goal would be to have machine learning that tweaked the robotic process automation, but I'm not an expert <laughs> in artificial intelligence. That that's the idea is that, and again, depending on who you speak to, depending on how much they know, they will argue that something isn't machine learning or isn't AI when a press release has come out and said it is. So, and often a lot of the time it's, deliberately opaque so somebody will come out and say oh we use AI and, and you know somebody else will look into the details of it and go no you don't you just you just use an Excel spreadsheet um, which has got some you know automated uh, functions in it. That's that's technology as far as I'm concerned <laughs> that sounds great. I'm, I'm not um, dissing Excel by the way I love Excel <laughs> I think Excel is brilliant and what worries me is how much of the world is currently controlled from Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> um, parametric we ought to mention parametric ah, at this yes. stage talk us through that. Yeah, so um, having just used the phrase, if this, if this, then that. So a parametric is sort of a similar concept. So parametric is at a space insurance that just automatically pays out when a certain condition is met. So travel would be a really easy example to understand. Knowing whether a flight is delayed or cancelled is publicly available information that is very easy to find and pull. So there are quite a few products out there which will automatically pay you out if your flight is cancelled on your insurance policy within hours. It's being used more and more in uh, catastrophe insurance as well, because, again, you know, there's usually a, a definition or a decision that this earthquake hit that level on the Richter scale. Therefore, that is the payout. The difference, I guess, is that whereas historically it would have taken a long time to pay out on, say, the damage from an earthquake because somebody would have to go and assess and try and assess the level of claims. If you use parametric, that process is much smoother, much more efficient because everybody knows right off what those pre-agreed conditions are going to be. And again, that's enabled by a lot more data being available. So making the insurer willing to agree to a set of terms before something happens. And it's a pre-agreed sum that's paid out as yes. well, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. You mentioned earlier on that insurance has been around for hundreds of years and has been largely unchanged. Now, when InsureTech made its entrance, not that many years ago, but when InsureTech became a thing, it was hailed as going to be you know, the, the great disruptor, the thing that was going to, to transform insurance. Um, would you say that it's turned out that way or, or has InsureTech merely been something which makes the traditional processes a little bit more efficient? I think it's both. Um, I think there are there is a lot of disruption happening now. But I think thus far, what we've seen is a lot of innovation in the classic processes. So if you look at it like just distribution, distribution has been massively changed. It's been turned on its head for the insurance process. But 
is selling a insurance policy through an app when the policy is still the same and underwritten using the same data and provided by the same capacity providers innovation that's where people will you know go backwards and forwards on on whether that truly is you know disruptive in that sense i i like to use lemonade as an example here which does get overused but i think it's a great example because you can look where it has disrupted lots of different areas of the value chain. So yes, it has disrupted distribution. It is all done through an app. It is all done digitally. It also is distributed through an API. So your insurance product, anybody who wants to can sell an a lemonade insurance product by embedding an existing customer journey. Sorry, um, API. Uh, or oh, application program interface. <laughs> I wasn't ready for that one. Um, yes. So it basically an API is like a pipe that you can just push data or you know information backwards or instructions, anything like that backwards and forwards. But the idea is that it makes it much, much easier to distribute a product. You don't have to go and integrate with a partner who wants to sell your product. Like M&A doesn't have to go and have a meeting with John Lewis and then work out how to sell its product. John Lewis just has to be able to connect to that API. So that is that and we're seeing a, a lot of the big insurers looking at doing that now as well, because particularly, you know, here in the UK, we very rarely buy our insurance from an insurer. In, in nearly everybody uses one of the comparison websites. Um, as it's almost a peculiarly UK thing to do, but it does mean that, you know, very few people have the time or the energy or the willingness to go and look at each individual insurer. So the, the insurer's interests to make it as easy as possible to access their products through interfaces that customers are actually regularly using. So that is innovation, certainly in distribution. And then I think, you know, the claims process I mentioned earlier has been hugely changed by Lemonade, doing everything automatically online using AI. And to a certain extent as well, their pricing model, if you like. So everybody pays a flat fee. And then there's also a social innovation there as well. So any money that's left over at the end of kind of a set period is given to charity that you choose. So it kind of changes the brand of insurance, the way insurance works and kind of the business model. So I think that's a really good example of where an insurtech has managed to make proper innovation happen through the chain. And I mean, th- th- those are specific examples, but in very general terms, you just think if you look at insurance 20 years ago or even 10 years ago, it has transformed from being a paper-based industry to being a non-paper-based industry, obviously sped up over the last kind of year and a half. So even just the way insurance looks, it is different than how it was five or 10 years ago. And then you lay on top of that all the specifics that you're talking about as well. And you suddenly think, yeah, actually insurance is a very different beast than it was. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of insure tech hasn't really lived up to the hype and whatever. Well, no, but it is it is doing it rather than doing it in one fell swoop and suddenly changing everything overnight. It's incremental change, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's you know people seem to, I think people seem to forget that nothing happened overnight in technology. They didn't just turn on the internet and everybody was like, oh, okay, well we'll just do everything online now. You know that's that's how we'll live our lives. These things do take time for customers to adopt them. I think the insurance industry has been perhaps a little bit more reluctant than some other industries to look at how it can innovate, how it can modernize for various reasons, but I think it's there now. Uh, And I think part of the problem is that we can't really overlook that it's incredibly complex. It's complexity. So you've got two factors. It's been done the same way for hundreds of years, literally hundreds of years. And it's not an easy thing 
to do. So of course, it's going to take time to unpick all those different constituent parts and how you can make each one better, while still keeping in mind the goal that I think all companies should now have in mind, which is how do you help your customers do what they need to do better? Um, as opposed to how do you make money? Because I think that that attitude, well, you still have to make money, <laughs> but as, as opposed to exclusively how do you make money? Because I think that that attitude is kind of no longer accepted by a lot of society. Exactly. And uh, and in fact, I was, I was, you know, the next question is effectively, who who should be the main beneficiary of, of insured tech? Um, is, it, is it there just to make insurers' life easier? Um, is it there to make the brokers' intermediaries' life easier? Or actually as you're just hinting, should it be focused at the end user, the end customer? So I think that if a company puts a customer, it's its customers specifically, not a standard customer, its own customers at the heart and the core of everything it does, its customers will be better off and it will be better off because its customers will be happier. They will use those products and services more they will be more loyal to them because they actually help them get done as I said what they need to get done you know and if you can do that as a company I'm much more likely to be loyal to you and happy with you and and, and willing to keep giving you my custom and uh, in the early days I think uh, I think there's even maybe a quote from you on one of your podcasts um, you talked about the fact that lots of uh, insuretech was solutions looking for a problem do you feel that that's changed, that the InsureTech is now a little bit more focused on actually trying to answer specific problems that are generated within the insurance industry? Um, I think it's more accepted that that's the way it should be done. I think we're not there yet with people actually doing it that way, if that makes sense. I think you see a lot of what we used to call innovation theatre which is essentially, or what my ex-colleague used to call lipstick on a pig, um, depending on which phrase you prefer. But, uh, you know, you can shout about your shiny new app, but if at the end of the day it doesn't help you sell more products or your customers, you know, get done what they need to get done, then it's a waste of time and money for everybody. I think there's still a certain amount of that happening, but I think this customer centricity is becoming essential, and I think companies are waking up to that now. So let's move on to what's happening today. Um, and kind of startups, new market entrants at the moment, how are they currently using technology to get ahead? So I don't think the core technology has changed a huge amount in the last five or so years. I think it's attitudes to it. I think it's the way it's implemented. And I think it's uh, the industry as a whole has got a better grasp on what technology can help it do. So, you know, large insurers uh, and the last 18 months has been a huge wake up call for financial services companies, big financial services companies. I've had a real, to put a very English phrase on it, kick up the bum when it comes to digitization. Like you've got to move faster, you know, saying, oh, the check's in the post, but we can't sign the check because nobody can leave their house to go and sign the check to put it in the post to you. It's not good enough if your house has been completely flooded, you've lost everything you own and you're living in rented accommodation. So I think that has driven a realization that digitalization needs to happen and awareness that a lot of people can't do that on their own. And that could be startups or it could be large companies. There's a lot more willingness to kind of work together in networks and ecosystems now, which benefits everybody. And I think that sort of amplifies the impact that the core technology is having. So I wouldn't say it's the core technology, you know, the the machine learning programs or the the robotic process automation or the the app development that's changed per se. Um, I think it's kind of how it's being used and implemented. 
And would you say that there is a holy grail, that there's something out there which hasn't yet been uh, achieved, but which InsureTech, you know, in its widest sense, is, is really wanting to get to? I mean, I think a lot of people are looking for that. You know, when I say more appropriate products and services, it is the, the word that gets bandied around a lot and that I still believe hasn't been properly done yet, which is personalization. I want an insurance policy for me, Sarah, with all the relevant facts and you know data included in that policy because nearly all of that data is available. So use it and give me a policy for me. That's what a lot of people would like to do. We're still a long way off it, but I think it is probably achievable so long as there are guidelines in place. The big one here is, is for data usage, data capture, data storage, Going back to data again, but if you're talking about personalizing a policy, that could work really, really well for somebody who you know has all the plus tick box factors that the underwriter wants. But if you happen to not have those, for example, if you uh, live an unhealthy lifestyle or you know you do something which the insurer deems to be unhealthy, it's probably a better way of putting it. Then there is a danger that personalization means that you have a subsection of society that gets priced out of insurance all the policies for that subsection of society simply don't exist anymore. So that is kind of the downside of personalization, if you like. And I think that is something that the insurance industry needs to think long and hard about how it's going to tackle as it moves towards this, as you say, holy grail. No, exactly. I mean, something which insurance probably hasn't discussed for 700 years, but which it has to discuss now is, is what is its philosophy? Is, is, it, is it a libertarian philosophy? I, is it really tailored to the individual? Or is it utilitarian? Is it is it tailored to the majority? And therefore, how InsureTech fits in with that? Um, and as I say, I'm, I'm not entirely sure that there's an easy answer. No, I, I don't think so yet. And I'm very glad it's not my job <laughs> to, to decide. Um, I watch with interest, but uh, yeah, I... I... I mean, uh... I mean, the thing is, it'll be it'll, it'll just end up doing itself, won't it? It's not as though there's a committee that, that will decide upon it. It'll it'll just go. It'll, it'll have to go the way of personalization, and then we will have to deal with the consequences of that. And I think the important thing there will be it will develop differently in different countries because of cultural factors and regulatory factors. So, who's the regulator in charge? What's the regulator's philosophy? Is it you know here in the UK, the FCA has a mandate to protect consumers. Well, there aren't that many regulators in the world with that mandate. Their mandate may be to, you know, make money, <laughs> to protect the industry, to promote stability. And if that means leaving some people by the wayside, then that may be the, the policies they come up with. So I think that will be interesting as well. There will be kind of the location in which the innovation is happening uh, will be impacted necessarily by that location. And insurtechs, if, if they're starting up at the moment, is there is there much money available? Is there, is there a lot of swishing around? And this might be a good time for you to sort of discuss your current role. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is if you're in any startup in any industry, there's a lot of money sloshing around. Now is a good time to go and try and get your mitts on some funds. What we do at, at Founders Factory is we're slightly different. We don't invest our own funds. We invest our partners' funds. So our biggest partner on the insurance side is Aviva. We've just signed another five years with them. So we'll be working very closely with them for the next five years. And the way it works with us is that Founders Factory is a company, we source startups that we think are interesting, that um, have an affinity with, with Aviva. And we bring these startups to Aviva, we talk about it together, we discuss it, um, and the ones that are you know, most appropriate Aviva will make an investment in. Sometimes we can't find a company that does that. Sometimes there is a specific need that Aviva has or, or a specific trend or gap in the market that nobody is yet filling. 
And in those circumstances, Aviva will put some money towards building a new company that aims to fill that gap, which is where our venture studio comes in. And those companies, you know, we build, we nurture them along, and then eventually they move into the accelerator afterwards. And, 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 and that partnership between the larger historic insurers and small startups is, is, is going to have to be a way that it goes, because the reality is insurance is insurance. It isn't going to change fundamentally and therefore, startups just simply have to work with the big insurers who have the technical ability, the underwriting ability, and the money. I think to a certain extent that's true, yes. I think there will be people like Lemonade who perhaps will you know, manage to stand on their own two feet eventually. And they are very, very close to doing that. If you look at you know, as I said, which parts of the value chain they actually own and then which bits they're, they're still reliant on third parties for, it's largely capacity in their case. But I think for a lot of other startups, there is going to be a need to work with the larger incumbents. But I think a lot of insure techs, that's their goal. I mean, D to C, like direct to consumer, like customer facing insure tech is actually, when you think about it, very small opportunity compared to business to business or, you know, direct to business insure tech, because as you say, there are so many large insurers with so many problems you know, that's that's a huge business opportunity. And of course, in that case, yes, whether you're partnering with them or selling to them, you're going to have to work with them to make a success of your business. And absolute last question. So what, what, what bit of advice would you give an 18-year-old who, who, who's thinking of moving to insurance generally, but maybe has a, a technical mind and who, who might be tempted to start an tech at some point? Um, be broad-minded. Insurance is not just men in suits working out of you know a very small part of London anymore it's a huge industry and there is huge opportunity to make a difference here and you know a huge opportunity to make a difference to people who have been excluded and whose lives have, have suffered as a result of it from the insurance industry I mean you know under insurance it's a huge problem across the world keep that in mind and just be I guess that's it be be solution centric be customer centric and be broad-minded so that was absolutely wonderful thank you so much thank you very much for having me RPC Radio. Thank you so much for listening to Insurance Covered. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and please rate, review, and share it. It really does help. Please also listen to another of our podcasts, Taxing Matters, which is hosted by my brilliant colleague, Alice Kemp. Insurance Covered is an RPC production made possible by Joe Burgess and Mary Mitchell. If you want to be a guest on Insurance Covered, please email me at peter.mansfield at rpc.co.uk. Thank you and I hope you have a lovely day.